Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King and I'm joined here by Glenn Fitzgerald. Once again, I am not ready. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. I was born ready. Really? No, that's actually factually inaccurate. Oh. We're, we're all about accuracy on this show. If, if anything, we believe in strict factual accuracy. <laughs> also joining us, all the way from one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Literally the whole show started 15 minutes late because of my own readiness. Yeah, that's. I like I like when we start the show with confessions at the top. <laughs> I was ready, then Lee wasn't ready, and then when he was ready, I wasn't ready. I peaked too soon. Is any part of that true? No. Okay. That's <laughs> when you when when Glenn starts out with "I was ready early." That's often yeah, no. an incredulous suspect. statement. Well, we uh, we got a lot to get to. We got a uh, got got some good questions this week, but first, I think we have to declare. A triumphant emergency. Oh, that's the best Whoa. kind. Oh, we've had a breakthrough. Yes, we've had a moment. Yes. And Glenn, would you like to share with the people your moment of triumph? Yes. Um, this was a, it was a, it is an amazing moment. Uh, as uh, people listening to this may, I think, no, I do a certain amount of speaking engagements here and there, and um, a certain amount of that is uh, colleges and universities and doing. Uh, either lectures or sure. a campus ministry type if thing. If you'd like to have Glenn at your college or university, info at missionusa.com, bring cash. <laughs> That's right. Uh, although this was this was a student-led uh, a campus ministry thing, so there was, there was no bring cash pizza. involved. There, there, was, there, was, there, was, there wasn't even punch. Wow. 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 So, you know. um, but uh, we, we had a lovely time uh, at the uh, Illinois Institute of Technology there. And they had a crew meeting. Hey, what's crew short for? Uh, Nobody crew. knows. Oh, <laughs> so uh, we—they uh, had a meeting there and uh, invited me to speak. They're awesome people. I've I've been there a few times, and uh, good folks with good hearts. And uh, they're they're young people, and and uh, part of what's going on there, uh, per our usual thing on the podcast uh, that we've gone over several times. They are uh, almost vibrating with the desire to be dating, but yet are not. And so, uh, so I who can solve a problem like that? Well, it turns out only the snarkiest man in the land. A snark man. So I I came in and said, as I have every single time, I'll make some point that has something to do with courage or fear or you know dreams or goals or visions or anything, then I say, you know, it's like dating and how all of you are terrified of dating. Crickets. And then there's crickets. And I said, oh, maybe I'm I'm falsely accusing you on that. If you're afraid of dating, let's take a little survey. If you're afraid of dating, hold your arms pinned to your side in a frozen rictus of fear. <laughs> and uh, then no one raises their hands. And I said, well, that's everybody. And so I, I did that. Frozen Rictus of Fear is my favorite Snarkman serial from <laughs> yes, the forties. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I did that, and um, uh, uh, some of those fellows came to our bridge service, which was awesome to have them there, and they supported us and served us, and and that was fantastic. And I hooked them up with another 
uh, guest speaker, uh, one of our our uh, new bridge interns, which was amazing. Intern John Woot, woohoo! And so we uh, hooked that up, and and I encouraged John to follow up with my snark. Yes, he's sort of a snark intern as well as a ministry yes. intern. Sure. And so I said, uh, you should snark turn. Yeah, go in there and uh, and. And lay down the snark, and and one of the fellows from the meeting says, "Wait, wait, wait! There was a guy at the meeting who got inspired Ooh. inside of his heart and soul and mind." Okay, sure. And he actually asked a girl. I was the, also at the meeting. I was also at the meeting out on a date. What? Whoa! And she said yes, and they're excited, and I, I. They're probably listening to us now, and I don't want to jump the gun, but I think they're probably going to get married and very soon. Sure, sure. I mean, I'm basing that on I've heard just one thing about it and that they just started like this week. Yes. Yeah. But probably, probably marriage. Right, right. Okay. I think it's incredible. I think, of course, we have we have a love victory. Sure. So we're always pro that on right. the show. Yes. Um, striking a blow against uh, nefarious Christian forces that wanted to kiss this particular institution goodbye. Totally. Yeah. But I think what we may want to focus on, what we may want to brainstorm on, which we may want to expand on, is Glenn mocked people into spiritual growth. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> and um, there's a lot going on in the church that, uh, that we cannot lend our particular skill set to. Sure. Right. There's a lot of encouraging and nurturing and inspiring, and we can't do any of that. Right. There's a lot of polite talk. Yeah. In soft of, tones. A lot of polite talk and kind of emotional appeals and mm-hmm. all that. And it's, if it works for you, it's lovely. But we can't. We on the Say That podcast can't go there with you. Yeah, we, we don't have the skills for that. We don't. What we do have the skills for is being rude to people to their face. Yes. Yeah, we wow. can do that. And it's, is it possible that Glenn has stumbled onto a way that you can do that that has legitimate positive outcomes in people's lives? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Gotta be. Can we, and well, can we, as we always do on the show, can we monetize? Can we market? Yes. Mm. What's, what's the book title? What's the speaking series? Yes. Figuring just what's your deal with Glenn Fitzgerald? Right, right, right. I think Frozen Rictus of Fear is good. Yeah, that's got to be a subtitle. It's a bit wordy. Yeah, uh, come to this meeting, Glenn will mock you. you know? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Was, well, good. how do how do we see this working out? You know, this... like you you go to the bookstore and it's like the end cap, and the and it's just a picture of my face, and the title is "This book thinks you're full of it." Sure. Oh, nice. if, like if you're under 25, a bookstore yeah. is like uh, if Amazon <laughs> came to life. What's a bookstore? There was a, if there was an Amazon you could walk around in. Right. <laughs> wow. So in this case, I guess you go to the Amazon link. Is this like an augmented reality thing? Yes, very Just much like so. That. Okay. It's like being in the Matrix, being okay. in the Amazon. Okay. You go and click on the Amazon page, and yeah, it's a, it's a video, an autoplay video of Glenn just judging you, berating you. Right. Now is this is this is this bookstore? Do I float around in it? Is I that mean, that would that in could the, be possible in the augmented reality? Do you, Amazon. Do you want to float around? Is, in is it? it in the sky? Listen, I think Glenn, if you it's get to cloud. float around, if you get to float around in an augmented, you know, Amazon bookstore jungle. Right. You should at least get to have a DeLorean, right? <clears throat> yeah, totally. definitely. Absolutely. That's I how you get, get there. Uh, you can yeah. kind of you can kind of make this whatever you want it at this point, right? That's that's what I'm 
That's how I picture it in my head. If you're like, a big fan of Back to the Future or 80s cocaine dealers. <laughs> so if you if you shame people from a DeLorean in right. the augmented Amazon, right? then could you get... I mean, at that point, you could... I mean, anything's possible. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could even get people to be not afraid of conflict or something like that. That's right. Yeah, just just mock whatever they're afraid of. Right. And then, like like... I could go to the UN right. and be like, fear of war is stupid. Sure. You shouldn't be afraid of war. I, I don't I don't think we want to. I think that's one of the, I, we want to hold on to that one. Yeah, oh, okay. That's, that's good. That's like washing your hands. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, let's, let's. So we went right Germ, from. So germs are real. Is yeah, no, germs saying? are real. Okay, well, let's, let's, keep, <clears throat> let's keep track of that one, too. Let's yeah, not, sure. yeah. Well, so our first attempt at that, we went right from a Glenn had inspired one date via this method, and he was uh, just got dr- so drunk with power, he was going to trigger all-out global war. Right. Yeah. Yes. So let's scale it back from that. Okay. Okay, let's, so like somewhere in the middle between yeah, those let's, two. Let's, let's, pick a, let's pick a non-extinction level event. Okay. Let's go with church growth. Okay. Right. Let's how let's say Glenn. Let's say we have a church, right? And we want people to come to church, right? But maybe people don't have transportation, right? And rides, and everybody in the church is just, you know, looking locked in fear, right? Even though they have cars, right? How do we mock them into driving people to church? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I think it's something along the lines <laughs> of, uh, you know. If you think driving to church by yourself and not picking someone up is a good idea, hold your arms to your side like a real doofus. Okay. 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 I like okay. that. I like that. Yeah. So I, I incorporated the, the survey part of that. Okay. You, you know, think so the crowd interaction has a lot to... Yeah. Because it's like, whoa, like, you tricked us. Yeah. You know? Well, it's like they're signing on. You know? Yeah. That's At right. this point, right. they're part of the experiment. That's right. Yeah, sure. like, well, hey, whoa! I didn't realize. If you agree to bring a person to church next week, make give absolutely no sign. All right, oh, and yeah. it's passed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, so I, I think that's what that's what it is. Love it. Okay, yeah. so we're gonna mock people into doing what we want them to do. Yeah, and mock them into a better life. If yeah. we can't mock them, we're going to uh, trick, hoodwink, and chicanery them into a better life. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think that's that's the key. Because we couldn't just appeal to them like a person. It doesn't no. seem to be going anywhere. Yeah, we have to, to use some sort of a negative emotional thing. Yes. You're saying that you couldn't just sell somebody on the benefits of the growth or the nice behavior or whatever. Right. right. Because that they wouldn't look at the common sense of the benefits and just decide to do the thing that would actually be satisfying and help. Right. Them. Yeah, the key is to be mean. Yes. That's yeah. the big key. Well, I love key. mean. Yeah, mean is like the most powerful thing in the universe. Oh, that's pretty cool. And it can change the world. Sure. That's only for the worst, but still. (laughs) Change is change. Change is change. Shaking it up, not content with the status quo. That's right. You're disrupting church, Glenn. That's what you're doing. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. I'm disrupting church. Yeah, it's it's like you're making an Uber for church. Except instead of requesting a ride, you just request someone to come and be a jerk. That's, oh. that's the thing. I, I, thought, thought, you, I thought you meant disrupting church as in like you fall asleep and hit your head on the pew and yell a curse word. Well, that's, that disrupts I church. thought you meant disrupting wow. church as in a very, very <laughs> tiny high-pitched fart comes out. <laughs> you that thought would disrupt you, church. You thought you, were, you thought you were kind of squeezing it 
easy like like no sure. one can hear that. <laughs> like, no, no, well, at the moment the pastor's taking the big dramatic pause. That's right. That those are both good. The, that's being disruptive. Yeah, oh, I see. That's I see. it's a little bit different. Right. Uh, it's it's a small change in the word that actually has a pretty big change in the meaning. Right. Right. See what you're doing is you're, you're saying Glenn's church fart can't get venture capital funding. <laughs> I got angel investors for that deal. I mean, don't even know. I mean, Elevation Partners is interested in churchfart.com. Right, um, right. You know, they, they $100 million first-round funding. Right, right. Obviously. Right. But meanwhile, the Church of Snark model, I think that has... Uh, <laughs> and the Lord spoke unto Moses and did say... <laughs> I mean, you tell yeah. me that's... That's pretty disruptive. Yeah, I think it is. Yes. So I I think we've learned a lot. Have we? No. Well, that seems about par for the course. So in that case, I'm going to declare emergency off. Sure. Did we declare emergency on? Yeah, yes. he, he did. It's a celebratory emergency. W- was I here? Yep. Okay. Some you, was- <laughs> you, were, uh, you had declared that you weren't ready, and then you were just staring at your paper. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's what did it. Yes. <laughs> it's a well... Oiled machine, some 300 episodes in. Yeah. We can almost get through a 12-minute segment without forgetting what we do and making a bunch of fart jokes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they say that every... You should assume that every episode someone listens to is our first episode, and... Sorry. Yeah. But if you're one of your first times joining us, we'd like to tell you about something that is... I think I'm safe in saying... Five years fart joke free. Uh, yes. <laughs> and that would be Bridgebox. Yes. Now, maybe Glenn snuck one in a sermon. I can't be sure. We put out a lot of these things. Put out one every month the last five years. Bridgebox yeah. is our online uh, monthly subscription service we put out. You get songs, you get sermons, you get Bible studies, guest devotionals, all sorts of good stuff, all based around a topic. We're heading into the month of October when this comes out. October's topic is how do I stop being afraid? So you're going to get sermons from Glenn and myself. You're going to get songs from Lee, uh, from our Deacons Division friends. We actually have our first ever Spanish language mm-hmm. Bridgebox song yes. coming out this month. So lots of good stuff. $8, only $8 a month. If you want to give more, we certainly will allow you to do that. Sure. But for an $8 a month donation to the ministry, and that goes directly to what we're doing up here with Folks Behind Bars, our Deacons program is entirely funded by Bridgebox. So lots of great stuff. Lots of uh, what funding to what's going on with Lee down there in Tennessee. If you want to check it out for yourself, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. And if you want to check out our blog, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com, you can write your questions in there. You can also check it out. We post songs and quotes and whatnot throughout the month. So if you want to get a sense of what that's about, you can check out those places. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. Huh? You're going to do that a lot, aren't you? Wow. Just every time I pause for the rest of the hour. The thing I'm enjoying is just the sheer delight. Yeah, so happy. This dude is so pumped. Through, through the whole bridge box pitch, I was like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm definitely going to yeah. do it. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yes. I was enjoying the buildup of it almost as much as doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to our first question here, possibly. Yeah. Maybe. We'll find out. This came in. To our email address. If you have a question for us, wait till the end and I'll give you some ways to get in touch with this. First question came in and it says In a recent episode, you guys said that the recipe for a compulsive behavior is when you do something that feels good but is unsatisfying and you just keep going back to it. So, my follow up question is How do you kick such behavior and is there such a thing as a good compulsion? So, 
very good question. We uh, we always love the follow up questions. Again, I'll give you the uh, I'll give you a, a repeat of the definition. This is what Glenn gave us a few episodes ago of a compulsive behavior. It's something that feels good in the moment but is unsatisfying. We keep going back to it. So, Jed, what we have to say about how to get out of that, and also if that's ever a positive thing. Sure. Well, uh, compulsions are bad. So uh, there there isn't such a thing as a good compulsion. But we respect you trying to hustle your way out of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. For example, if you felt a nearly irresistible urge to make rude sounds into the microphone. Take your time. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. <laughs> bad, but entertaining. Bad, but entertaining. Um, Unhelpful, certainly. <laughs> but delighting to at least one person. Completely socially unacceptable. Yeah. I also enjoy that I gave you an opening and there was part of you was thinking about not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then I kind of had to. Yeah. 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 Okay. So no, uh, compulsions are bad, but um, not too, too far off from that. Good habits are a good thing and are, are worth developing. But um, you say, how do you kick such behaviors? Well, let's, let's look at why we end up developing these compulsions to begin with. Cause I think that's going to give us a bit of, of a hint. Most compulsions begin from a place of, I need something to help me get by. I need, I need something that's a little boost. I need something that's a little pick-me-up. And that's, that's fine. That's not, you know, I have my, my morning cup of coffee. That's great. You know, no one should, should uh, you know, uh, begrudge you that. But what's at issue is where we say, okay, well, now I need a little more to help me get by. And now I need a little bit more than that. And I need a little bit more than that. And I need a little bit more than that. We, we have some friends that run a recovery center. I think we talked about this recently with the coffee. Um, and, uh, I don't know what we talked about on the show, but it's, it's worth going back to Please That's share. a great story. Uh, so we have some friends that ran a, an addiction recovery center and they do great work. They're wonderful people. And some of the guys that live there said, Hey, can we, um, get a, just a, a pot of coffee, you know, just a little cheap $20 target coffee machine. And this was like a, uh, if you move from seg from like phase one to phase two in the, yeah, in like the program, you get a little more yeah. freedom yeah. and they ask, can we get a coffee machine? In the exactly. Bag? Right. So you've already been working in recovery for a few months. You're doing well. Can we just get a coffee machine? And they said, oh, sure, that's that's fine. And so the first week they had it, they, they drank a lot of coffee. It's only a few guys, and they, they really went through it. And then the next week, I mean, they drink like double that amount of coffee. Right. And like week three, they're going through gallons of like coffee a, pot a day. each a morning. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's and so finally, the guy that's overseeing it says, okay, no moss, co- coffee is canceled. You guys are, is, it's out of control. Right. By the way, where's Leroy? Has anyone seen Lee? Where Do we know... Where where is he? Well, God, I don't know. I thought he was. They search. Leroy is in the basement, sitting in the dark, just chewing coffee grounds. Wow. Just rubbing coffee grounds on his gums. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, a that's a little funny. Yes. B that's that's a good example though of something where we say you know I'm tired. I could use a little cup of coffee. That's fine. That's right. that's no problem. But then you know I could use another cup of coffee and another and another and another and another. And now now we've taken something that's perfectly healthy and lovely and we've turned it into something that's compulsive and unhealthy. And back to our definition we started with in the previous episode, we've done something that gives us a little buzz but isn't actually satisfying or fixing that underlying problem. Exactly right. So let's look at that underlying problem. I think if you've got a life where you constantly feel like you need something to help you get by, we're, that's the problem. That's, we, we have begun to diagnose where there's an issue. Uh, and Jed, just, just for clarity on that, can you define what you mean by get by? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the way many people live their lives is I can't quite keep up with all the demands. 
I can't quite be the person that I'm supposed to be. I can't quite uh, do as good a job with things as I'm supposed to do. I can't quite be as moral as I'm supposed to be. I need something just to help me feel better. That could be I need, uh, you know, a cupcake or ice cream or coffee. That could be I need to uh, something that would be healthy and small. Just I need to go for a little run. I'm going to, you know, just to clear my head and, and whatnot. I need to take a break and just listen to some music. I need to, you know, take a break and play some video games. All those things are fine in small amounts. But if we say I can't keep up with life, I'm, you know, I can't be good enough. I can't be smart enough. I can't be fast enough. I don't need to run one mile. I need to run two. I don't need to run two. I need to run 20. You know, very quickly, this stuff escalates into something where now we have something that is, it has become unhealthy, even though the thing itself, there's right. nothing wrong with, mm-hmm. right? Does, does that work for you? Yeah. I, I guess in that definition, you're saying, are you saying that if I have a life that is, has its challenges, has its stresses, and this is something that helps me meet that, helps me do that, as opposed to I feel like I cannot meet yes. the things that I need to do, should do. I'm going to do this to fill that void. Yes, that's exactly right. I So where we run into problems, I'm glad you asked, is where we have a life where we feel like I cannot meet the demands that are on me. Fundamentally, I cannot. There's a hurdle I'm supposed to get over that is my life, and I can't get over it. And so I will use something to make me feel okay about the fact that I am not able to live in the way that I believe I am supposed to. That's, that is, is, is the recipe for a problem. The way to fix that is not to find better and better medications, which is what most people do. The way to fix that is to say, how do I get my life into a manageable place? How do I get my life into a place where it does not feel overwhelming to me? A good functional definition of stress is the feeling you have when there is a disconnect between resources and expectations, You are expected to do 50 hours worth of work and you have 10 hours in which to do it. Um, The feeling you have in that moment is stress. That's that's just a good baseline functional definition of of stress. And so if you feel that sense of disconnect, you are probably going to look for something to make yourself feel better uh, just in the moment because stress is a lousy feeling. But what we're saying here is the right way forward is to look at those big picture issues, whether that's the unrealistic demands of we need 50 hours of work out of you or the lack of appropriate resources, you only have five hours to give this. But the thing is, you've got a disconnect and you feel like you need something to make you feel better about the disconnect. The way forward is address the disconnect. The way forward is do something to... um, improve this situation that feels to you like it is untenable and unsustainable. Mm. As If we haven't done that, we're going to keep looking for things to make us feel better. We're going to keep looking for things to medicate us. And those things done long enough will all spiral into something unhealthy. So we want to look at the big picture. We want to look at our actual life. It's a fantastic place to start that off. I love the, the definitions you gave us there. I think that's a really helpful uh, place to build this going on. And Glenn, I'd love to go to you on this. Because with what Jed's talking about there with that um, unhealthy coping habits, unhealthy um, habits versus the healthy ones, I wonder if you can give us a framework for kind of a differentiating between those two. Right. And I think it will come back to this definition you started us with in the previous episode of uh, feeling good versus being satisfying. Right. I think there are some things where people assume if I 
can compile enough good feeling things yeah. in a row or in severity that will add up to satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. wonder if that's not where we get in some trouble on this. For sure, yeah. I, I think if you, part of what Jed's pointing out there is if I do something and it it makes me feel a little better, Yeah, I'm in a rehab and a cup of coffee. It takes get, the edge off. Takes it's, hey, it's not crack. It's not crack. It's way better than crack on every possible level. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll drink a cup of coffee. It gave me a nice little pick-me-up. And the fact that it gave me a little pick-me-up makes me feel better about my life. I have a little more energy, a little more pep, a little more uh, positive vibes, okay? But the thing is, it's a very small positive boost. Yeah. It's nowhere near a full, satisfying life. It's just one little moment that makes me feel a little bit better. So it leads to the thought of, you know what? If I drank a gallon of coffee, then I would feel a lot better. A lot better. Maybe all, I might feel all the way better. I might be fully satisfied with my life if I drank a gallon of coffee. So it's this idea of what's actually dangerous to us is not something that we take pleasure in that might be bad for us or something like that. It's taking a measure of pleasure in something without recognizing that it fully fails to satisfy us and chasing that sense of pleasure. You know, the addicts will talk about chasing that high. Yeah. Uh, uh, but part of what happens in our body is if you drink caffeine, for example, there, 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 your body has receptors that take that chemical into your nervous system. If you give it too much, it, physically reduces the number of those receptors. So you only can get so much stimulation from from coffee, no matter how much you drink yep. it. Eventually, your body just makes it not work as well. So you, it's almost like this built-in mechanism where it, it, there's only so much you can get, but you, you have to recognize that if it's not satisfying you, you can't pursue it as if it would. Yeah. It doesn't fill you to the fullest. It doesn't, you don't drink coffee and say, I'm never going to lack for energy again. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Um, Not with this new Maxwell House IV system. (laughs) Yeah. Part of what's going on there, though, I'm like Jed, though. I like this idea of, uh, you know, there's a chance that this could be good on some level. I love looking for loopholes. And in a funny kind of way, it, can be good to change a bad a, a bad habit into something that's more of a positive habit that is to say that the way our uh, the way the biology of our brain works is you, you've heard this term before neural pathway and it's it, the funny thing about a neural pathway is it sounds like junk science yeah and it's actually not it's it, that's exactly what it's like the more you think in certain ways and more the more you your train of thought runs a certain way, the more it becomes ingrained in you. Mm-hmm. And uh, your, bo- your brain can actually bypo- bypass parts of, of your, your, your reasoning in mm-hmm. order to just automatically go with something that's that ingrained in your brain. Well, that means changing the way that we see ourselves, our lives, what we take pleasure in, how we have satisfaction is incredibly hard. That's why getting over addictions are incredibly, incredibly right. hard. But by laying down those new pathways and and training ourselves to think in different ways, that becomes easier and easier and easier and easier. And it becomes as if it's a good habit. It becomes mm. a, as if it's a good compulsion. 
uh, leading us in in the right kind of direction where where it's natural for us to have a healthier way of looking at things. Um, but I think here's the bottom line on all of this is uh, nothing physical satisfies us mm-hmm. in that way. That's what we're really talking about here is satisfaction. Um, uh, I can eat good a good meal today, I'm going to be hungry tomorrow. I can have some caffeine today, and they give me a boost for today, but tomorrow I'm going to be listless all over again. That's the nature of physical things. I can buy stuff, but it breaks down, or somebody steals it. And moths come in and do sure. what they do, uh, as the Bible would say. But uh, for for me, it's about recognizing I am spirit. I, I, I The essence of me is not physical. The essence of me is spiritual. And only things of the spirit can satisfy me. And I'm looking for physical stuff to do that. And that's the mental shift we need to, to take here. I think it's a really good point. I think it's a fantastic place to land that. And Leah, I'd love to get you to close us out on this discussion. I want, to, want you to look at this idea of, is there such a thing as a good compulsion? I, th- mm. I think uh, Glenn kind of drove us towards that. And I think I know what our question asker means by this. And I wonder if that, if what I'm assuming they mean is that, I mean, sure, there's such a thing as an unhealthy coping habit or working habit, but what if I can point that towards something that is a positive outcome? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a bad idea to deal with my emotional issues by running 10 miles a day because I'm literally running for my problems. <laughs> but Matt, if 10 is helpful, how about 100? Almost oh. certainly. What could be more healthy than running 100 <laughs> miles a day? <laughs> But I think there's some people would say, and there's a cultural aspect to say, well, you'd be in really good shape. Sure. You're not doing worse stuff. Um, You know, it's, it's, it, this is, this is a healthy behavior. We have decided healthy behavior. So you can't really apply that in an unhealthy way. You super can. You can't eat too many vegetables. You can. Like you can say all carrots. That would be great. (laughs) But I think what they may, what people may try to be saying is, I want to take this energy and maybe uh-huh. if it's dealing with an insecurity or something that leads to a compulsion, and I want to point that towards something positive. So wouldn't that feel like taking all the negative stuff this compulsive behavior does to me and just putting it towards something good? Which I think what these guys have pointed to and what you can help us shift yeah. out is actually having good, healthy habits that are sustainable, that move us in a spiritual direction, as Glenn's talking about, is different than just removing the unhealthy thing and plugging in a quote-unquote healthy thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, 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 the thing I love about where you're kind of steering this is that it gets back to exactly what Glenn's talking about, exactly what Jed's talking about, which is to back out and look at the big picture of what, what is my problem? What is it that I am trying to fix or what is what is it I am trying to medicate or what it is that I am trying to cope with? Because one of the problems of the idea of a positive compulsion is that let's say, like just take the running, for instance, you will run out of steam. You physically mm-hmm. can't do that. Um, I mean, the 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 thing about the thing about things that are actually healthy for you is that they're healthy in a balance. Yes. Um, so, you know, I mean. Drinking water is healthy, but it, you can drink so much water that you will die. That yep. sounds really stupid, but it's actually actually true. Uh, going for a run is a healthy thing. Exercise is healthy. 
But you can do that so much that you, one, cut people out of your life, two, change the way you look at everybody else so that you're just silently judging the rest of the world, three, you break your own body down, and four, you just don't have the balance that a human life needs. Everybody needs downtime. Everybody needs days off. Everybody, I mean, everybody needs a Sabbath. Everybody needs some junk food every now and then. Like, you need to chill, you know? And so, uh, you, you see this with people who work too much, and they have a, they always have a great reason for it. There's always a really noble purpose behind some of this stuff. But usually, just as Matt's saying, they're they're actually running away from some other thing. And the thing is, is that with a with an unhealthy, like it's it's a weird thing with a with a healthy compulsion versus an unhealthy compulsion, they the the you know a, a lot of common sense thinking would say what we need to do is stop. Like an unhealthy compulsion, you need to stop. With a healthy compulsion, the idea is, I'm just going to go. Both of these things, that, that's looking at both of those problems in the wrong way. You, As Glenn's saying, it takes a long time to retrain your brain about the way that you think and the way that you cope and the way that you handle certain emotions and the way that you handle certain temptations or triggers or whatever. Well, it takes the same kind of thinking. You can't just stop uh, a behavior because that's not the way that behavior works. You have to figure out why is this happening to me. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing is I think that not enough people, when they look at their life and where it's out of balance, not enough people stop long enough to look in the mirror or to ask their friends and say, hey, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I doing this? Um, I, I'm concerned about something in me. I'm going to give you the floor and I'm going to give you the permission to say whatever you think. And it, if you... You know, if you err a little bit and you wind up hurting my feelings or whatever, I'm going to take it because I need to figure out why I'm like this. I know so few people who have the courage to do that. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of those people that feel like, I've never had that conversation with my friends, um, hey, th- that's, that is a very natural thing uh, to, to, to have never had this conversation before. It takes a lot of courage to look at the people in your life or to look at yourself and say, yeah, but why am I this way? What is, what is the itch that I just can't scratch? Um, what is that thing? I mean, maybe the positive compulsion is, I just can't stop doing great things for people. Well, why is that? Well, it's because I feel like I've got to earn this, and I've got to make myself acceptable, or whatever that thing is. There could be a thousand reasons, but we can't actually do the process of the slow change in the way that we think or deal with our emotions, as Glenn's saying, as Jed's saying, we can't retrain our brain until we find out what it is we have to retrain. Yeah, We can't just tell you to stop running 15 miles a day. That's not going to work for you, or whatever that thing is. Or we can't tell a person that's using heroin, just stop using heroin. It's the exact same thing. We have to figure out where did this, where did the wheels fall off on this thing? Yeah. And how can we get back to a place of health? Health always equals balance and moderation. Uh, you can handle things that are things that are good for you, things that are, you know, whatever. Like, you can handle all that kind of stuff in, in moderation and in balance if we have a healthy mindset about who we are and what we're looking at. So we've got to be able to back out, and we've got to be able to have the courage to be honest and figure out what it is that I'm trying to medicate, what it is I'm running from, what it is that I'm trying to earn, or whatever that question is. We've got to ask the why question. 
Absolutely. And Jed, one more thing you add to this? To pick it up exactly where Lee left off, um, you've heard us talk before about the acronym HALT that gets used a lot in addiction recovery circles. That stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. Again, HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. If you in your life are habitually in one of those states, it's going to lead you to compulsive behavior to make yourself right. feel better. Um, and the thing is, the way forward, as Lee is saying, is less about saying, well, I'm not going to do this compulsion anymore. It's about fixing that I'm always hungry or I'm always angry or I'm always lonely or I'm always tired. Um, you know, any one of those is going to put us in a state where we're looking for something to help us get by, to go all the way back to the beginning. To add one more checklist to you, if you talked to a combination of counselors and psychologists and pastors and theologians, they would offer kind of three next-level things that are worth looking at. And those things are, am I growing and developing as a human being? Do I have a strong sense of community in my life? And um, am, do I have a sense of purpose? Am I doing something in some way to right. make the world a better place? So again, those three are, am I growing and developing as a person? Do I you know, set goals for myself and pursue them? Uh, the next one is, um, do I have a strong sense of community in my life? Is there a group of people that I'm a part of where I love them and they love me? And the third one is a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, that I in some way do something to make the world a better place. If we find that we're really <gasps> struggling with you know, just kind of a series of, of compulsive behaviors that seem like they're kind of designed to make us feel better. We want to look, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? If we've got those squared away, then the next thing is, do I feel like I'm growing as a human being? Is that something that needs attention in my life? Do I feel like I have a strong sense of community in my life? Is that something that I need to look at? Do I feel like I have a sense of meaning in my life that I'm making the world a better place in some way? If we look, if we run through the checklist and we realize that we've got uh, one or more of those that's massively not being addressed in any way, exactly as Lee's suggesting, we're almost certainly going to see better results working on that and doing something to improve that area than we are trying to not do a compulsive behavior. I think that's a really fantastic place to land that. Um, bring our second question here. This came in to Glenn's blog. Mm. It's very popular. It's uh, the yes. uncleglenn.com. I've heard that. It's quite popular. Also, if you have a blog, it's important for you to know that the people who follow my blog that I interact with, that I consider friends and you know, sojourners on on this walk with the Lord together, that... Uh, my people are cooler than your people. Sure. I think Sojourners is going to sue somebody. Well, there you go. We're going to answer this question. So, And Glenn actually answered it on the blog. I think if you look back at maybe Saturday, September 30th, if you want to scroll back to that, I think is the day uh, this answer went up. Maybe before that, but it was that same week. So, But we're going to we're going to give it a go around the podcast here. This person wrote in and said, Hey, Uncle Glenn, about eight years ago, I was in a terrible relationship. I was co coerced into doing sexual things I hated. I tried physically pushing him away, but never really yelled no or anything. It took me a few years to recognize it as sexual abuse. Later, I was in a serious relationship and told him about it. And the new boyfriend asked why I just didn't say no and that I was probably exaggerating. Likewise, that guy was never violent but did do sexual things with me I specifically told him not to do, but I didn't stop him, I just froze. Last year, I was in a relationship with a really nice guy and planned not to tell him about any of this, but when he started getting closer physically, I would freeze up. He said he couldn't figure out all my baggage out and how an act of love would make me scared and feeling guilty, but then I ended up comforting him when he found out what happened to me. I've talked about it with counselors. I know it wasn't my fault. And for the most part, I don't really ever think about it unless things are getting very physical with a guy. My current boyfriend and I really want to take it slow. I still don't know how to bring this up 
or when, or even if I should. And every time I've told an ex it has gone badly, what should I do? So obviously a very deep question. There's a lot going on here about the specifics of the, the, the sexual stuff and the sexual abuse stuff. And then uh, I think maybe even later on, we'll be able to take this in. There's also a larger question here of processing bad things that happened in your past, not letting them define your future. I think an important place we can start before I kick around to these guys, because I know they would all agree with me is um, uh, boyfriend two and three in here really screwed the pooch. Yeah. So as we're talking about going forward, um, this is not a, everything always goes bad when I bring this up lesson. The lesson there is I dated real tool bags. Yeah. And that's okay. Cause we've all done that. That's, that's part of the joy and the exploration of dating, but we, we do want to be very, very clear. And I don't want to eat into these guys time. So I'll just take that up front that if someone tells you that they were sexually abused and your response is, are you sure you're not exaggerating? <laughs> yeah, did you, did you say the word? No. Yeah. Don't nice. say don't, ladies. That's not an okay thing to say. And gentlemen, if you'd be with me here, and if you listen to the podcast, we love you. We believe in you. You're a good man. You're trying to do it. Don't say that. Yeah. Here are the words. And this is a script you get from Glenn. I am sorry that happened to you. Yeah. What can I do now? Yeah. That's the only thing you say with the, well, baggage. And did you really? And I read on Reddit that sometimes the, the, you know, false memories and whatnot. No, 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 no. None of that. I am sorry. This is what should have been said to you. This is not what was said to you. For that, we apologize. Right. But Glenn, if we, we go into looking at this, and we take uh, the person wrote the question of the word that they uh, intellectually realized that this was not their fault. This mm-hmm. was something that was put upon them, but they're wondering what next steps to take. Where do we land on that? Well, I think, uh, as I said in, in the blog post, it's important to recognize that uh, sexual abuse of any kind is about power and it's not about sex. Now it's obviously it's, exercise in a sexual way if it's sexual abuse but it's really a way of asserting a power and manipulation uh i'm guessing that if we were to do the 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 research into that original relationship we would find there was other attempts to sort of assert physical power or manipulation and those kinds of things so uh the sexual element of that was actually just an a symptom of that larger problem within that other person. So as you say, it's right to think that that's obviously not your fault uh, because it would make no sense. It'd be your fault. Um, But it's about recognizing this is someone who wants to take power and control. And Mm. the important thing for you is to take that control back Mm. and to say, this is my body and I decide and I alone decide what happens with it. Uh, God and I get into a conversation about it. We come to a determination of what needs to happen when, and then that's it. Now, I, I, I want to make sure that you are, as you take control, that you are going to God about what he wants, what he thinks is good, what he thinks is right for you physically and sexually. Uh, I think if you have a sense that this is just bad or maybe it just leads to bad things, it's a slippery slope to terrible, you know, whatever then I think there's going to be a sense of not thinking through where those boundary lines really should be. And that's, that's not you, that you aren't, you haven't taken control. You're, you're letting the circumstances be in control or the fear be in control or the past be in control. I want you to be in control. You take control Mm. and you say, God, you tell me what is good, what is right, what is beautiful, what is lovely, what is 
the right kind of pleasure at the right time to have physically and sexually? Uh, when can I trust this person that I'm with? I think trust is super important, and uh, he needs to establish, your current boyfriend needs to establish a lot of trust with you. So you, you need to establish boundaries, obviously, within that and discuss that clearly with, with your boyfriend. But you also need to discuss consequences. Consequences are very important. Uh, I think we have a sense of, if I talk about boundaries and then I talk about consequences, that's kind of a threat. You know, if you do this, I'm going to do that. That's not really how consequences are meant to work. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a way of saying, I want to be in this relationship, but you need to understand if this happens, that's a deal breaker for me. That's right. a relationship ender for me. In your case, you know, you're talking about sort of a, a history of freezing up uh, in, in those situations. And, and that's you know, part of what fear would do to a person. You, you get kind of uh, afraid and freaked out and you kind of uh, clinch, you know, and that's understandable. It's acceptable. Uh, your boyfriend can and should understand that, that you have now. And in fact, he should be informed. If you violate the boundary that I gave you physically, I reserve the right to not say anything in the moment at all. And then the next day, your stuff is uh, sitting in a box by the front door, and that's it. And and I'm done with you. And that's that's you know I'm telling you now, so you'll know later what's going on with that. Uh, don't don't try and say it's an unfair last minute thing because that's that we've established that's what's going on. <coughs> Uh, I think if you can get into a place where you recognize uh, that, and your boyfriend recognizes that trust needs to be earned, that that needs to be built right. up, mm-hmm. uh, you have to give it to him if he if he earns it. That's your side of that, and that can be tough if you if you've been let down before. Trusting in any way can be it can be tough. But you have to make him earn it. He has to have a desire and a willingness to earn it. He earns it, you give it to him, and now that we have a, 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 a situation of trust, then it's unlike these other situations with these other guys where we couldn't trust them. So we're, you know, we're in a new situation. Bottom line, here's the thing, is I, I actually really don't like the third boyfriend. I agree with, with Matt that the, the second boyfriend was just as bad as the first one, and the first one was bad. They're all tied for last at this point. <laughs> really true. Bless them. But the third guy where he, you know, um, it doesn't understand it, but, you know, maybe isn't trying to be understanding about it, and then he finally hears it, and then, then he freaks out, and we're comforting him. That doesn't feel right at all. Yeah. But it, if I'm bawling over what's happened to you, I, maybe I have problems with my own, but um, I'm also maybe trying to make this into a situation where I'm feeling sorry for you, mm-hmm. and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. The pity does not fit. Uh, in our ministry, we make it clear, I have compassion for what your struggles are, but I don't feel sorry for you, and I don't pity you because you're not pitiful. Absolutely. Can you break the, 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 down the difference between those, that having an empathy and a compassion versus a pity? For sure. I think the big difference is uh, when you pity someone, it's about saying you are, uh, you are an object of pity in the sense that you aren't able to overcome your situation. Mm-hmm. You're not able to do any better than this. That's how pitiful you and your situation are. You will continue to be victimized at this exact level for the rest of your life. Yeah, because you're you're pitiful. That's that's the thing about being pitiful is all we can do is pity you. 
that's different from a situation where you can and you have overcome at least elements of this thing. If you're an overcomer, we need to treat you like an overcomer. We need to treat you like you're stronger than the rest of us. I think one of the biggest things, and Jed and I were having a conversation about this re- recently, but one of the biggest things about our our walk and our relationship with other Christians is to recognize that that relatively few Christians have really overcome major struggles in their life. Some yeah. of them are just living with it. Some of them are not addressing it or whatever have you. Some haven't had much to overcome. But overcomers are a special breed, and I think they deserve a special amount of respect. And I think your boyfriend needs to see you as an overcomer and treat you as an overcomer. And that really begins with you portraying yourself that way and having sort of a a demand that you be be treated and, and dealt with as if that's who you are, you know, that I don't want to be seen as pitiful by you. Yeah, I think that's a really fantastic place to start. I think Glenn did a fantastic job covering the specifics of this kind of situation for us. Lee, I'd love to, love to go to you next. And again, I think Glenn did a great job uh, lining out the, the sex side of this, and that's very important and very specific to this situation. And uh, if you want more on that, you can actually, I, I looked it up on my internet phone. Mm. Uh, you can let, check out uncleglenn.com on, from September the 28th is when he did the blog post on this. So Lee, I'd love to go to you and let's, let's broaden the, the horizon on this a little bit, because as Glenn's talking about, there is, there's the sex side of this, and then there's the overcoming side of this. I think mm-hmm. we maybe uh, do well to focus on a little bit, because no matter really what you're overcoming, we can apply some principles. And one is you will hit this point with it. And uh, our question asker has done all the right things and done a great job. And since I've talked to the counselors, I got to the point where I've accepted some basic truths about this, that it wasn't my fault, that I want to move on from this. As Glenn points out, yeah. a lot of people get stuck before they get there. But now we're in this place that all of us have been about something, which is intellectually, on a mental level, on an informational level, I understand this situation, what it's done, and how to move on probably. You know, the next step is X. Emotionally, there are some roadblocks to getting to that next step. So, Lee, when we're stuck in that kind of situation, no matter what the thing we're overcoming is, what are some practical tips we would give to push through that? Well, I, I like the way that you asked that, and... and uh... And I think that it's an important thing to realize that the first step in that is that it is realizing that those things do happen on a different timetable. Um, exactly as you're saying, I could get to the place where I could even talk about what's happened to me or talk about um, the struggle that I've had, whether it's this specific kind of thing or, like you're saying, a, a broad and different kind of struggle. I could talk about it. I could even kind of uh, I could answer questions about it. I could remain cool and that kind of stuff. But then something could happen that could trigger those emotions again, and I could feel like I'm right back in that situation. Um, So we can get over things at an intellectual level where we can talk about it, where we can discuss it, where we can think about it, we can have conversation about it. And then something can happen where I feel it all again in exactly this, at the exact same, you know, fever pitch. Um, and, and the first thing that we have to do on that is to realize that doesn't mean I'm in the same place. Um, that, that means that exactly as you're saying, that moving past it intellectually, moving past it emotionally are two different things. And that's because the way the human psyche works is when something, when you've been through a traumatic thing 
and something triggers those emotions, they come back and they feel exactly the same as they did the first time. And so what we have to do in that kind of a situation is we have to recognize what's happening to us. And and then we need to get you know the help that we need whether that is that's a specific friend or that's a specific you know phone call that i need to make or that's a specific place that i go or something like that i need to be honest about what's happening to me and that's and and then i can realize like I, look this doesn't mean i'm not moving on i love the way that glenn talked about how you need to repaint your self focus as a person who is an overcomer but even if you are even if you are dead set on that and i'm moving forward th- through this struggle and i am an overcomer you still may have these kinds of trip ups where you feel like where you feel everything just the same it doesn't mean you're not moving on it just means we've hit this bump where all that trauma has been triggered and so what i need to do is i need to learn how i deal with the emotional trauma um, I need to get a plan in place for that. When this first happened, what were the things that helped me move past it? What were the things that were positive? Who were the people that really got me, who really understood, who really were there for me and helped me? When that kind of stuff gets triggered, I need to go there. I need to go back to that. I need to go back to that person, or I need to hit this thing in that way again, because it doesn't mean I'm not growing. It doesn't mean I'm not overcoming. I am. I'm just hitting more pockets of this stuff. I'm dealing with more of it, and I'm gonna. And every time I do this, I'm gonna get better at it, and it's gonna be a faster turnaround. It's kind of like the way, um, the way like when we were little kids in school, we had to do fire drills, and we would do those things because you know, God forbid, we ever be in that situation. But we know what we're going to do when we get there because we have a plan of how to deal with that. So it's not that you're not growing. It's not that you're not overcoming. But what, what did we do that worked the last time we were here emotionally? Let's do that again. Next time that turnaround's going to be faster. The next time it's going to be faster. And that's how we begin to move through this. I do want to say one thing real quick before we kind of move on. I, I'm with Glenn. The third dude on this thing was was awful in a very specific way. And I want to speak to this just for a second, whether it's the sexual thing or if it's or if it's another kind of struggle. Because what this dude did was that he took the thing that he wanted, which was an emotionally traumatic event in your past, and he the way that he defined it was an act of love. That is a manipulation. Because your trauma is now you you now have a reason to feel ashamed for the thing that that you are that you have a pause about because he has defined it as an act. Well, how could you feel bad about an act of love? Um, for for all of us out there who have friends who have dealt with trauma, if you have or if you're going through a trauma, if somebody takes the thing that's hard on you and they redefine it in a way that makes you feel shame, that is not your safe person, and that is a person to move away from. That is a manipulative behavior, and um, and that is not the right way to do that. And in big, big, big time. But just so you know, if you're the person that's working through a trauma and somebody defines what happened to you in a way that makes you feel bad, like you did something wrong, that's a person to push off from. That's not going to be the person that's going to be in your tribe to help you move past this. Amen. A very fantastic place to end that. And Jed, love you to close out on this. I think exactly pick up where Lee's talking about there. This is when you're on that, in that step of I'm moving through this thing. I have... I have a trauma, I have a fear, I have something that's being overcome. One of the things that we would do, I think we you can't over point out, is that this is not a slow and steady climb up. Mm-hmm. 
there's there's going to be there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be dips and dives, and all that's part of that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So when we look at here, here's what we've what we've been through. And again, we're talking general here. We're kind of moving the camera back uh, from this specific question to more. I had a really bad experience with something in the past, and on an emotional level, it kind of trips me up when I'm around similar stuff to that thing today. So what do I what do I do? And these guys give great advice in terms of we we all the things we don't want. We don't want people that are manipulating us. We don't want people that are making us feel guilty. Uh, and that's right on. And the question becomes, what do we do? How how do we get to a place where this isn't tripping me up emotionally? I'll have I'll have good days and I'll have bad days. I'll have days where it affects me more than others. But generally, how do I move in a direction where this affects me less and less emotionally moving forward? Because that's the goal. That's that's how we overcome. Well, here's the super super bad news. The bad news is we overcome it by facing it head on. That's it. We overcome it by by finding that thing in a sense and going after it. I'll give you a super easy example first. The worst meal I ever had as a kid, the the strongest gag reaction I've ever had in my life was lentils. It was, I think I was seven years old. It was the grossest thing I'd ever eaten. That was 80s lentils at the time. They hadn't figured out lentils yet. Oh man, (laughs) it was, it was so, so bad. Now today, I actually, certain dishes, I love lentils. There are some lentil dishes that are amazing. Some of my favorite food in the world. But at a certain point, I had to try lentils again. Right. I I had to pick up a spoon and put it into a bowl full of lentils and then put it in my mouth and and not gag. Right. So, no you're you know, you might listen and say, "Well, that feels like a small kind of silly example." It's actually not. Right. That's that's how these things work. I, you know, I've I've here's this thing that I'm I'm super uncomfortable with, but I've got to kind of ease myself back into the pool on this and and see where we're at. Sometimes that works simply. You you take a bite of lentils, you go, "That's actually quite good." I my desire to die is very low. We're right. we're going to call that a win. <laughs> Other other times, it's more complicated. I'll give you an example of more complicated. So, Hallie decides, um, because she's an adventurer, that we should learn to scuba dive. And because she's amazing, um, she gets a scholarship for veterans, um, so we can we can learn to scuba dive, and it'll be free. And that sounds super neat. Hallie loves water, and it's great, and it's amazing. There's one sticking point on this, which is, I am terrified of drowning. Like, right. it really, really super scares me. And just That's like good. we're we're talking about some of this other stuff. I intellectually know I'm not going to drown. I, there's, That's the whole point of scuba diving. It's the whole point. I'm yeah. aware. I got, I got the knowledge in my brain. Here's the thing. Doesn't matter. I'm yeah. super, super scared of drowning. So uh, it's kind of freaking me out. Uh, you know, it, it, scuba instructor is a lovely person. I have to explain. No, I hear the words you're saying. It's the panic in my heart. That's the problem. Okay. Well, now, we have a couple options here. What a lot of Christians would tell you to do with any problem is, oh, well, just don't do that. Just accept a life where scuba isn't yeah. a part of it. Probably God doesn't want that for you. Yeah. That's terrible advice. That's <laughs> Jed, God separated the air, the land and the water. I think he did it for a reason. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Something for you to think about. Yeah. You, know? you know who's under the water? Pharaoh's army. All right. So why don't you think about that? Yeah. Okay. So that's option one. It's just, we'll just avoid that area of life. We'll never think about it or go near that again. Again, that's terrible advice. Don't do that. The second piece of advice that actually also a lot of Christians would give is, well, just do it, bro. Just do it. Just get in there like, oh, and then it's like, you're like over it because yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that's terrible advice too. Yes. Because I got to stop asking for discipleship advice from the guy in the squat rack. 
<laughs> He's a little intense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, this is the thing. I can't do it. I, I'm I'm freaking out and uh, I'm about to panic. So this, this is this is a problem. But what we can do is we can take advice from the smart guy on the squat rack. When you go to the gym, nobody goes to the gym and starts out bench pressing 100 pounds. Right. Nobody starts out there. You start out with 20 pounds because that's what you can do. Then the next time you go, you bench press 22 pounds and then 24 and then 26 and 20. Over a long period of time, you work your way up to 100. So that's what Hallie helped me do here is we looked up what are exercises that people who are afraid of drowning can do to get less afraid of drowning. And it turns out there's all kinds of things. So you, you take a snorkel and you sit on the shallow end of the pool where you, you just, all you got to do is stand up. And, and you, but you just sit there under the water with a snorkel in your mouth and you just, and you just hang out. Here's the thing. I, I have a sense of panic as I'm doing that. I totally do. But it's a little less and then it's a little less. And next time it's a little less and I can build up from there. I can get to a point where this doesn't really, really freak me out at all. Neato. Now I can scuba. It's great. Your particular struggle will have its own equivalent of how do I increase the intensity on this? Right. How, how do I how do I build up to this? But most struggles do have that quality to them where we face this head on, say this is the amount I'm able to bench press today. And I'm going to go back tomorrow. I'm going to bench press a little bit more. And I'm going to bench press a little bit more. If you keep doing And that's actually a big part of what a good counselor is there for, is to help you understand what are the mechanics for your situation? What is, what's the bench press in your situation? And how do we calibrate that? But if we embrace, I'm prepared to face this thing. And I'm prepared to lift till it's uncomfortable and then do more the next day. If we'll keep doing that, then we are overcoming it. And we'll get to a place of transformation we wouldn't believe was possible. That is a fantastic place to land there and i will i will tie this back to the original uh, question brought in because that's what you're doing when we yeah. and we want to be clear that uh, jed's advice is very well taken there it's the right thing to say we're not saying go have sex with someone nope because that's actually not the issue yeah because it takes us back to when Stardust. the the awful thing that happened to you was not sex yeah if one party is not in full enthusiastic vocal consent what we have here is not sex. What we have here is an assault. Yeah. It's an assault on a certain time of the body, but that's really not sex at all. So what you're, the, the thing that I would imagine is before you'd overcome here, it, based on your question, is not a sexual act. That's, that's a trigger, but it is, as Jed is talking about, facing that head on as in having that conversation. You've done that with your counselor. You sat down and talked through that. You've written you've written into your wizened internet uncle mm-hmm. who has brought you uh, brought you some extra wisdom on the podcast here. And but that is that is facing what happened head on. That is saying this is a thing that happened. These are some uh, fallout from that. And here's where I am. So that final step is you're talking about. Oh, uh, I don't know if I should just avoid that conversation altogether, which nope. has gone badly before. That's bad. And that's kind of how we know, and I won't speak for myself here, that's how I know that's the thing I probably need to do, is when I get right with the person to say, you know what I could not do? Yep. Is this last bit. And it'd, it'd probably be fine. We'll just work around it. So that, but that thing you're overcoming, and again, this is not a, a jump to that, and maybe people are uncool to you, and we were sorry for that, but this is not an uninsurmountable thing. Unfortunately, a lot of people have been in similar situations, gone on to have very... Um, uh, wonderful marriages and uh, fine sex lives and the whole thing. And we know a lot of them personally, again, that's, it's a very, it's a sadly common thing, but whether it is this situation or it is that overcoming, you don't have to be afraid. 
Um, if you'd like some songs and uh, Bible studies about that, feel free to email me, Matt at MissionUSA.com. I'll get you some stuff from this month's Bridgebox if you're not a subscriber. But all that to say, you're, you're doing very well. You're closer to uh, being on top of that thing than you think you are. So we're going to go to our final question here. This comes in anonymously and it says, what does it mean to listen to God? Do you pray and then just sit still and listen for his voice? Or does God just let you pray and then when you're off doing something else, answer you with a whisper or a sign? How does all that work. And Lee, I'd love to uh, to jump to you on this. Maybe we start out even the question under the question, which may I, th- I wonder if some people think, I hear people, I hear people on the books, yeah. I hear people on the podcast talking about listening to God, and I don't really feel like I hear from God, so maybe I'm not Christian. Maybe right. I'm not in the super inner circle Christian. So why don't we start off with relieving some pressure here? Yeah, I think that's uh, I th- I think that's definitely what happens to a lot of us is when we when we think about this kind of thing, our gut reaction is, oh gosh, I ha- I haven't heard the audible voice or I haven't had this kind of communication really in prayer or something like that or I'm not getting a lot of out of scripture right now. So probably what that means is I suck and God hates me. Um, that's where a lot of us naturally go, and so I, I think. The one thing I'd love to just start doing is is just as much as possible to remove the pressure of, hey, if you have believed in Jesus, you're just as saved as everybody else. And there's a lot of confusion on this because there's a lot of, number one, a lot of people say a lot of stuff. I mean, I grew up in the kind of church where people talked about hearing um, God's voice all the time. and And a lot of times about about little stuff that I didn't know why God would even kind of, uh, you know, uh, ring in on that thing. I mean, you know, it was like, well, man, uh, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, I'm so glad that you brought banana pudding to the potluck today. And she's like, well, you know, I was going to make uh, brownies, but I just felt like the Lord told me that banana pudding is really what was going to bless everybody. It's like, I don't really, okay. Um, <laughs> My vision of God is always telling people banana pudding. Absolutely. So I just want to be on this podcast, we are... Pro uh, spiritually enforced banana pudding. I'm down with the banana pudding. It was just one of the, you know, it's just one of those things where it was like I, I was in the environment where people were always receiving this communication from the Lord, and I didn't really have that experience, and it and it very often made me feel like, oh gosh, what what am I going to do? The problem is, is that if we get pent up about this or stressed out about this, we wind up gritting our teeth for hearing that voice, and then it's the exact opposite. Uh, it's the exact opposite route, route we should take to actually get to a place where we feel like we're in this kind of relationship with the Lord. I think what we've got to be able to do is to relax, is to relax about the fact that God loves me. Um, uh, Psalm 103 says, he remembers we are dust. He is invisible. He knows that we know that. Um, this is, this is not a, a mathematical formula or anything like that. I think that even people that, that have this kind of experience a, a lot would tell you, and yet there are times when I feel like, you know, I feel kind of spiritually dry or I feel more disconnected or it feels like the scriptures aren't really speaking to me right now. Um, the one thing that I would say is let's, let's see if we can start there. Let's see if we can start by relaxing and getting to a place where we realize God loves me. I'm not less saved than anybody else. And so that's going to allow me in, in times of spending time with the Lord to, to 
you know, really to uncoil and say, okay, Lord, I'm inviting you to, to communicate with me any way that you want to. Speak to me in the scriptures. Speak to me with that still small voice. I like how you mentioned that in the question. You're on the right track with this stuff in that it's not going to be this booming, big, obvious thing. That's the way the Lord says that he wants to speak to us. But the one, if I was going to give you some practical things as we move forward through this, let's start with Let's start with relaxing. Let's start with understanding how much the Lord loves you and how much he wants to communicate with you. And if you, you know, he knows you want that too. We're all on the same page on that as far as this relationship goes. And then let's start to look for making some quiet space for that. And then I would say to add to that, let's ask specific questions of the Lord and let's make sure that, you know, we're in a place in our life where we are in over our head. We're, we're, we're serving the Lord out there, and we've got a mission and a purpose, and we've got a thing that He would want to speak to us about. We're in motion, and I'm asking specific questions, and I need the Lord to come in and talk to me. Let's start with some of those places, but I would definitely say the very first place to begin is relax. We all have up and downs, ups and downs on this thing, and you're not any less saved than anybody else. A very important and a good place to start, and Glenn, I'd love to, to go to you next year, and I think to pick up on one of the things Lee was saying there, when you hear people talk about this, I think there are a couple of disconnects on that. One is um, pretty much the only people I ever hear talk about listening to the Lord are the people who are really doing it. Right. And it certainly includes people around the table and on the podcast when you're here today and people who super aren't. Right. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who would say that the Lord told them something like who to vote for, or what to do with their money. Right. And that really starts with, I'm going to do what I want to do. Right. And I assume that I am so inherently holy right, right, that God right. could only sign off on that. Yeah. But there, so I think there's, but there's around all around that. There's a lot of imprecise language. Yeah. A lot of kind of uh, mystery and vagaries, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast on some of this stuff. So what of that can we cut through? Well, I I think there there's uh, there's also the category of person who listens to the Lord on about three things. Sure. Banana and pudding being one of them. Banana pudding being one of, one of them. He's not letting the Lord weigh in on anything else. Sure, but, I didn't invite uh, the Lord over there. Yeah, you stay I, in the kitchen, Lord. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of people where the, God needs to talk to them about their politics or their profession or their girlfriend or whatever it is. And nope. theology. Yeah, theology. All that. He's just not going. He's not being given a platform. But uh, I, I I hear what you're saying about the 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 vocabulary, and here's a tough thing about the the vocabulary about this stuff. We have to acknowledge and understand that when we're talking about supernatural stuff, there we can only describe that in the physical with physical stuff. In other words, if I if I'm talking about listening to the Lord, I don't mean listening for I don't mean listening with my ears for an audible voice in the literal sense of that. I mean it in the abstract sense of paying attention to an inner dialogue that's taking place within you. But what I have noticed over the years is there's a certain amount of, of I'm going to, to, to only take things literally as a way of avoiding what you're trying to tell me here. Huh. You know, So it's like, what do you mean? Give it up to the Lord. How would I even do that? Like attach a balloon to it and just float it up to him. You mean like I'm a character on Guardians of the Galaxy who can only take things literally? 
Good yeah. pop culture reference. Thank you. I felt good about it. Yeah. Yeah. So here's here's the thing. Uh, let's not be coy. You know, one of my favorite uh, tricks on listening to the Lord is um, I will ask people, do you ever feel like you can just you can just hear that devil tempting you. You can just hear his voice in your head telling you to do that wrong thing. Like it's just, you can practically hear it. It's just in the soup of your thoughts, but it's coming through loud and clear telling you to do the wrong thing. They're like, yeah, I hear that all the time. Okay. Can you hear God in the exact same way? Oh, well, besides and so forth. And also, who's to say? And it's all very confusing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're trying to avoid hearing sort of the last word yeah, on this yeah, thing. Yeah. And uh, I think we need to be honest about that. I don't want God to tell me to break up with my girlfriend. I don't want God to tell me to move to a different city or change jobs or whatever it is. So I'm making it be as if who can say if yeah. that's God's voice. You can, you you know. Uh, uh, how to listen to the Lord, how to hear stuff. But the question is, how much is it coming through? What is it coming through on? Are there certain things that you're kind of closing off? Are you not, as Lee is alluding to, you're not taking time to get alone and tune other things out so you can do more of that listening? And finally, I think uh, this whole thing of looking for signs is, it's, it's a dangerous uh, slippery slope to get on because you're interpreting those things sometimes in your own way. I right. think it's, uh, you know, the Lord gives me lots of little hints, signs, and guideposts. That's true. But uh, all those things are really useful for is to send me back towards listening because I right. can misinterpret a sign in one sort of way or another. I can get, uh, I can decide that this thing means something that it doesn't mean. And that's a, that's a slippery slope I don't want to get on. But if I have something that sort of gets my attention, yeah, it's great to go to the Lord and say, does this mean what I think it means? And mm. what, what, what should I take from this? And so forth. Uh, but just going by the sign and not doing the listening is actually not any kind of progress. I think that's, a, that's all great stuff. And that's a really important point you landed on that there's what we're not looking for is more supernatural things to substitute in for constantly going to God. And listening, and Jed, I'd love you to, to close us out. And I wonder if I think, as as Glenn is pointing to, with the example about well, you ever feel like you you can tempt, hear a voice tempting you to do the wrong thing? Oh yeah. So the opposite. Well, who can imagine? Can uh, most people who've been walking with the Lord for any decent amount of time have more experience listening than they might even think they do. Sure. Again, that's not something you just hear talked about in churches a lot for many reasons that go back to why seminary educations are a uh, hustle. Um, but I think one thing we can look on that is if you've had a little bit of this and maybe not a lot of it, or, or for in the question mentions, you know, do I just sit around and wait? Do I go try to do other stuff? And if we have a situation where it's, I've heard on some stuff, I don't feel like I'm hearing on other stuff. What are some, some minor kind of shakeups, some mm. new things we can try if we feel like we want to uh, prime the pump a little bit, so to speak? Man, that's a great question. So I think it's worth looking at um, the fact that we can't hear something we're not willing to hear, mm-hmm. um, and that that's not exclusive to listening to the Lord. Here's the, the bottom line. Every, every conversation that you have winds up as thoughts in your brain. As a very quick physics lesson, Glenn speaks, that excites the air, the, ex- the air excites my eardrum, that excites my auditory nerve, that's now an electrical signal in my brain, it's thoughts. Everything that I think I hear Glenn saying, it's just thoughts in my brain. 
That's that's it. It's Whoa. yeah, I know. That's that's how that's all all conversations work. You know, I, I don't actually, in a sense, hear anything. It's just it's just electricity in my brain. Okay, so the next thing is, I want you to think how many conversations you've had with other people where you're trying to tell them something important yeah. and they are just not listening to you. Are you Thank are you, you. specifically yeah. talking about you're my children make- right now, Jed? Because. I'm still upset. <laughs> that is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah, I mean, how many things did did my parents, you know, were they clearly saying to me, you know, in my in my growing up years, it's just, nope, we're not right. having this conversation, you know. And and vice versa. I mean, we we all we all have that. So I think the thing that we want to ask is, am I willing to hear God on this? Am I willing to entertain a thought on this? Uh, that is contrary to my preference, right? As as a, as a test case, politics. Could anyone tell you anything that would make you change your political opinion? Right. <laughs> I think that's worth thinking about. Right. Yes. Deeply. Yes. Could yes. anybody? Anybody? Not just God. Anybody anywhere? Could anybody tell you anything that would make you change your political opinion? Because if not, you're not listening to anyone in any conversation. Right. As it pertains to that to that arena. So, Matt, to answer your question, I feel like I'm hearing on some things, I'm not hearing on others. I think the thing that we want to ask is, on those individual subjects, are we willing to hear what God might have to say, or is there a reason why we're closed off? Maybe we're afraid of the answer. Maybe we assume, well, I know right. what the answer would have to be. Maybe it's, um, I don't... I don't. I can't imagine an answer that would work. I'm such a sinner. I can't imagine an answer that would be good news for me. So let's not let's not check on that. But when we're having trouble, because as you rightly point out, most people can recall. Well, I you know, this thing happened. I just knew the Lord was telling me X Y Z. Yeah, most people have experience like that. If we feel like I really need the Lord's wisdom on, do I take the job in Albuquerque or the job in Des Moines? But I just can't hear the Lord on that. I think it's worth looking at what's in the way of hearing, Mm -hmm. whether that's fear, whether that's distraction, whether that's I've kind of already made up my mind. Susie has definitely made up her mind, so so who even knows? I think we want to get to a place where we're willing to take in an outside view and an outside perspective, and that's probably going to get us to a much easier road to listening to the Lord. That is all a lot of really good stuff in this topic from guys who have been doing it for a significant amount of time, which this is one of those things, that's the only way to learn about this on, and um, some trial and error uh, for yourself. The good news being, um, uh, there's a lot in the, in, the, in the scriptures about God won't let your foot slip fully, which is good, yes. because we all get some minor misinterpretations. As these guys have pointed out, the fee thing is to keep going back. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're going to take out the song from this month's bridge box these are our friends in the deacons division taking some uh, some pretty yes. cool words about christian history from spurgeon augustine and the like the song is called one and the same we're gonna take out that thanks for listening just remember we love you god bless you there's nothing you can do about it to say that podcast helping college students find romance through snark and you're welcome for the babies <laughs> hungry fed naked clothed strangers we welcomed into our homes sick Locked up we came For them is for Jesus They one and the same Father sin God gave a speech And hands and feet and body Help them with your Camry Don't wait for no Maserati Whatever you got Just get it out and help your neighbor The world seeing that I'll tell you this They feel your flavor You wanna honor Christ And don't ignore him when you're naked Bonus point The world see that Then they all think you're faking Don't make no sense To come to church with you All dressed in Prada To see somebody naked But you won't give that dude nada Hungry 
about the paper stacks We can see them, matter of fact He is giving me his wealth So give it out and give it well By this old man will know you mind Cause you love one another But if you ain't out meeting needs You're gonna make them wonder You ain't lose a thing by giving to his saints What you made is an investment Sewed up in a better place No, we ain't the kings now we just still it's got a mission, got the means, but now we gotta do it. Hungry, fed, naked, clothed, strangers we welcomed into our homes. Sick, treated, locked up we came. For them is for Jesus, they one and the same. Maybe you were rich, man, I say you were beggar. Compared to God, you flat, broken, needing unmerited favor. Anything you got, you got, cause God gave in his mercy. Don't let the world tell you that it's yours because you earn it. Don't let the world tell you that it's yours because you no. earn it. Hungry, fed, naked, clothed, strangers we welcomed into our homes. Sick, treated, locked up we came. For them is for Jesus, they one and the same.